Welcome to Wake a Watch, the podcast. I am Duana McCray, and I'm here with Mike Tomasulo and Danielle Williams to talk about the second trial in the VLSI versus Intel case. In this trial, as you all know, VLSI is seeking over $3 billion in damages from Intel for Intel's alleged infringement of two patents. So, Danielle, what happened during day four of the trial? On day four, Intel continued its case in chief. The jury heard from Professor Alyssa Absell, Intel's expert on non-infringement and invalidity for the 522 patent. And they heard from Professor Stephen Lieb, Intel's expert on non-infringement and invalidity for the 187 patent. But they just heard his direct. He will be presented uh, for cross-examination on Monday morning. Um, before we jump into the testimony from the expert witnesses, um, what did we see from the bench during day four? So, hi, Dewana. This is Mike. Um, I'd say that one of the more interesting things was we know that in the prior cases, Judge Albright, you know, when he's ordered the plaintiff, when he's in a, in a claim construction proceeding prior to the trial, if he's ordered that the term should have its plain and ordinary meaning, Generally, he's given the parties a great, a great deal of latitude to talk about what, uh, what the plain ordinary meaning is. And so there was a large dispute about, about the claim construction and whether Intel will be able to argue, make, advance certain arguments as to one of the terms in the 522 patent. And that took about an hour of the court's time in the morning. And ultimately, Intel wanted to use the file history, uh, to, to kind of try to say what the plain and ordinary meaning of one of the key terms was VLSI said, no, you can't do that because the court has already ruled on that claim construction issue. And so ultimately the court agreed that Intel was not going to be able to use the file history. And the reason for that, there were two reasons. Number one, Intel had argued for a disavowal. This is my understanding of what happened. Intel had argued for a disavowal in the claim construction proceeding. And the judge affirmatively found that there was no disavowal. In other words, he explicitly rejected the argument that Intel apparently wanted to make at trial. And then Intel wanted to also just use the file history to kind of explain things. And VLSI argued, no, the only reason you would be using the file history in this instance to show the plain and ordinary meaning is to argue a claim scope disavowal, which you, uh, which the court has already rejected. And so um, I think it's notable because it's a bit different in kind than the other arguments people have been allowed to make where, you know, if sometimes the judge will say, I'm, I'm going to find plain and ordinary meaning, and he hasn't explicitly rejected one party's position or the other. He's just declined to enter uh, either one of their constructions, but he's gone with plain and ordinary meaning instead. And in those instances, I think that he's been pretty flexible in terms of allowing the party's experts to say what they think the plain and ordinary meaning of the term is. But because here the, 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 the construction that Intel was apparently wanting to advance a trial had been apparently explicitly rejected by the court during claim construction, they were not able to do that. Got it. So let's jump right into the arguments now. Um, Danielle, you mentioned that we heard from um, Intel's expert, Professor Absol. What was the gist of Professor Absol's testimony? So generally speaking, uh, for non-infringement, uh, the when we look at the at the claim as I understand it, uh, using the plain and ordinary meaning, uh, you have to have a power source 
and then the inductor, and those all happen before reaching the voltage regulator. And here, the parties don't seem to dispute that Intel's fiber chips have the inductor after the voltage regulator. And that is what Professor Absol was uh, attempting to communicate to the jury, as I understand it. So, Mike, what points were made um, during the cross of Professor Absol? Well, so there was a there was kind of two lines of attack uh, and uh, with respect to the infringement arguments that were made. The first line of attack was to um, you know, attack the substance of her argument. And part of the substance, as Danielle explained, the, the, the claim, Intel's position is that the plain and ordinary meaning of the claims require that, you know, if you're, if you have current flowing from a battery through this fiber chip or the voltage regulator, that the use of the term from really means that the current must flow from the battery to the inductor and then to the voltage regulator, the fiber chip that we've been hearing about. And so there were that that's there are different terms, buck and boost converter. And the, the patent talks about how you could use either a buck or a boost converter. And so part of the cross-examination was directing the professor to those parts of the patent which showed that the the that you could either use a buck or a boost converter and of course Intel's position is yeah but that's not what's claimed so that's one aspect of it then as expected one of the things that was done in the prior trial was a series of slides during closing where VLSI attempted to say that there were credibility problems with the Intel witnesses and they directed uh, a lot of questions to the professor to try to elicit contradictions. And there were apparently some contradictions that were elicited. For instance, she was asked if she had designed a microprocessor on the stand. And she said yes, and she began to explain what she meant by that. And then ultimately, the cross-examining attorney showed her a copy of her deposition where she had been asked basically the very same question. Have you ever designed a microprocessor? Answer, no. Now, I think there's a probably a good explanation for what, what she really meant by that, but it's going to be no surprise to me if contradictions like that are being displayed at the end of the case. Another example was where she was um, asked if she had applied the correct standard for validity. Uh, in other words, had she started with the presumption of validity and she said that she had and then she was apparently shown some part of her deposition transcript where, at least according to VLSI, there was an implication that she hadn't, in fact, uh, started, that she had not paid attention to the presumption of validity. So whether that's, in fact, what the, those deposition transcripts say or whether there's more to the story is not 100% clear, but I do believe that those are the kinds of things that if passed as prologue, we will be seeing slides of those apparent or alleged contradictions uh, in the closing arguments once again. Professor Absol also testified um, on the issue of invalidity. What was her testimony during the direct examination? Generally speaking, on invalidity, she presented uh, her opinions on obviousness and relied on a, a six or seven reference combination to support 
her opinion that uh, the 522 patent is invalid based on obviousness. What points were raised during cross-examination um, relating to the invalidity testimony? There were a number of points raised on cross two that uh, that bubbled up to me were one, uh, the number of references that were included in the combination to support the conclusion or to support the opinion. And two, Mr. Chu asked a series of questions about the, the companies where the inventors of the patents that were part of the obviousness combination worked, and it seemed to suggest that there were a number of people who were working on these kinds of issues that didn't quite get at the invention that is uh, allegedly captured in the VLSI patents. So I'll be interested to see how the uh, obviousness comp combination uh, plays, uh, as well as the, the points that were brought out on cross-examination. What was also interesting, Dewana, is when Professor Lieb testified about the 187 patent, we saw the, a similar uh, review step-by-step uh, -step of how the 187 uh, or how Intel's products do not infringe the 187 patent. But on the invalidity case, it was either a one reference obviousness case or a two reference combination for the obviousness case. And so it, it certainly uh, was a contrast between uh, Professor Absol and Professor Lieb on that, on that issue. Danielle, I'll be looking to hear about Professor Lieb's, um, the testimony that's elicited during his cross-examination, which did not take place again on day four, but we'll be learning about that soon enough. What are the implications from the party's positions on day four? So I'll pick up where you left off, Dewana, with uh, the testimony for Monday. So Monday is going to be a busy day, I expect. They're also they're, In addition to giving closing arguments on Monday, we will hear the cross-examination of Professor Lieb and whatever redirect that, uh, that uh, Intel may have. Uh, we will also hear from Intel's damages expert. We expect that to be Hans Houston again. And then uh, we will have whatever rebuttal case uh, VLSI elects to present. Uh, so it will be a, a busy Monday. Yeah, Daniel, one of the things I thought was interesting, no, number one, uh, Intel was using some of its own patents to try to build the invalidity case. So, they, they, I think that was an interesting move by them to try to introduce to the jury, look, Intel also has patents in the space. That was interesting to me. Another thing that's interesting to me is just because of the way things shook out and the judge had to do the jury charge and, and tomorrow the court needed to be dark, um, we had a situation which Judge Albright really tries to avoid, which is the second non-infringement and invalidity expert that Intel put on, Professor Lieb. He completed his direct testimony, but he won't be cross-examined until Monday. And so I think that minds, you know, people could differ as to whether that's an advantage to one side or the other, but it's certainly not the way that Judge Albright normally likes to run his court, but there just wasn't any way around it in this particular instance. So it, it gives, I suppose, Intel's lawyers plenty of time to think of how they want to handle redirect, VLSI's lawyers plenty of time to think about how they want to handle cross, and the jury can sit with the testimony all weekend um, and maybe it gets stale or maybe they thought it was very powerful, but it, it's definitely an interesting uh, uh, twist to the story.
is. And I and I'm expecting that it's going to be shorter, whatever the the cross and the redirect uh, may be, given the time constraints that everyone seems to be under for Monday. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Danielle and Mike. Um, I look forward to hearing more about um, Intel's case in chief and just the remaining days of the trial. And to the listeners, please tune in next time.